go ahead and pick your speed up your number one now, runway 27, clear to land green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Green Dot, EAA's podcast for anyone and everyone who loves aviation. I'm one of your hosts, the Museum Programs Coordinator here, Chris Henry, and with me is a uh, fellow staffer who is no stranger to the Green Dot, uh, Connor Madison. Uh, Connor, you're a staff photographer here, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Awesome. You get to do some uh, amazing stuff. You've taken some beautiful pictures here, Um, and I think really... It's no uh, hidden secret that you and I both have a passion uh, outside of, of the real aircraft, and that is... Uh, building models of said aircraft. Exactly. I, one of the things that always interests me is I, one of the, my, my roles here is um, uh, to be one of the team members who gets to conduct interviews in our Timeless Voices program. And one of the questions I always ask people is, how did you first get involved in aviation? What was that first spark plug? Uh, it's also one of the questions I love asking guests here on The Green Dot. And so many times that answer is model aircraft, whether it's radio-controlled airplanes or what we're talking about today, which is scale plastic uh, airplane kits. And I just thought that's really interesting. That's a really common bond, and it doesn't really seem to matter what era the aviator we're talking to. It, it sort of runs the, the span of aviation history. Um, I guess, how did you first get involved into to plastic modeling? Yeah, so, I mean, I've been into aviation pretty much as long as I can remember. Uh, my, my grandpa was a pilot. Uh, he was a volunteer here uh, for a long time. And so kind of subsequently, so he has three sons, and they they were all naturally into it too. Uh, and so growing up, uh, just, just hanging around my grandparents' house, a few of the, my uncle's old models hung in the ceiling of their basement. Uh, and two, like specifically still are burned into my mind. There was a 48 scale, uh, B-17 and B-29. And, you know, as a little kid, I mean, those look massive, you know, and it was just something like I always looked at those and like, oh, that's really cool. Like I just liked airplanes and it's kind of a natural progression. I think maybe I think like around my 10th birthday, um, I got a Blue Angels F-18 uh, model. And that just kind of that was the first thing that and um, maybe a couple of car models. But yeah, we're not going to talk about that today. right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, the Blue Angels F-18 model uh, was my first one. And it just I mean, it's been nonstop there. So I'm, I'm 28, about to be 29. So about 19 years uh, I've been doing it and just yeah, I've never stopped. You know, it was interesting. I got into it because uh, I had to do a school uh, uh, science project. And the science project, uh, we all had to draw something out of a hat. You know, you got to pick out of the hat what you were going to do a a presentation on. And my team got, uh, it was aerodynamics. It was how how does an airplane fly? Um, And as we were all meeting at my house, my dad gave me the idea that, oh, you, you guys should get like a model airplane and build it. And this is probably like fifth or sixth grade. And so he took me to a hobby shop and I just remember uh, staring at, you know, we, we ended up buying like a P-51 or something like that, 148 scale. So it's a reasonable size kit. But I remember way up on the top shelf was this huge box, which at, when you're a kid, this, this, this box seems like it was as big as a football field. And it was the B-36 Peacemaker, 172nd scale, which B-36 is huge. And I remember the kit, it literally like pulled no punches right on the box. It just said the big, bad, and beautiful B-36. And I'm like, 
whoa, I want that. You know, at the time it was like a million dollars, which in reality was like 25 bucks, you know, but when you're <laughs> like six or, you know, in sixth grade, I mean, uh, you know, that it, you know, you're like, whoa, like that's a, that's huge. Um, eventually I did finally get that kit by the way. And like, you know, barely fit in the back of the Bronco and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, day. so fu- I mean, funny you bring that up. Cause I can remember, uh, around Hobby Lobby around here, that was, it was top shelf that kit. And I remember for Revel, it was the skill level five, which, you know, you probably start in, um, I think aren't there, they're snapped together kits are like skill level one, right? And most of the stuff I had probably built at the time was like a three or something like that. And so it just blew my mind. I'm like, oh, maybe, like maybe one day, yeah, I'll, I'll get to that. And yeah, I, d- I did end up buying that eventually. And yeah, I still have it. I mean, that's the, it, it's kind of like poetic because to me in the, like in the real world, I mean, that's, that's the biggest, baddest airplane that's ever been built. It's one of my favorites. And then same in the scale model world, you know, that was, that was a big thing for me to tackle, you know, once I was ready for it. Well, and I think, I mean, like that kid actually held, it held a world record. I don't know if it still does for the largest plastic injection molded kit. I, I don't know if that's still the, yeah, yeah with those 132nd scale there's, stuff There's that's probably out. some, you know, we're probably splitting hairs of whether like, oh, is it mass produced or injection molded? But I mean, to I guess to like, if you give people who maybe aren't familiar, so that's a 172nd scale kit, right? And it still is longer when you measure it out in wingspan and length than the 48th scale B-29, even though it's smaller in scale. I mean, it's just a huge airplane. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Yeah. What I what I really love about you know the, uh, doing the plastic models is you're able to create you know airplanes that don't even exist anymore in a lot of ways. I mean, in in, in the real world, uh, I think there's maybe four or five B thirty sixes total, right. and here you're able to uh, you know sort of have your own little little section of one. You know, and uh, I I think that's really what's cool. There are airplanes that are unfortunately extinct. But through the uh, use of plastic kits, we're able to at least tell a story. Uh, from a museum side, it, it's uh, valuable to be able to include that in an exhibit or something to show someone what maybe what markings would have looked like on a different airplane or something similar to that. So I, I mean, they're just uh, they're they're a wonderful wonderful thing to have, and uh, honestly, they're. They're a really affordable gateway into aviation. Oh, um, absolutely. For me, the cost of that Mustang model, um, you know. Uh, that, that really helped continue, you know, that fire. Uh, I will say, unfortunately, as anybody that's been to my house uh, knows that it, 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 it's also become costly because I've become totally addicted <laughs> to building plastic model airplanes. Um, but, you know, how do you feel? Do you think that that's a, a good gateway for, for young people to get into aviation? Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it, ab- it absolutely is because I guess, like, you know, you look over time, like you are saying, Going back even before World War II, I mean, model kits were a thing that that people got into. I th- I think the they are more expensive now, but like relatively, you know, like everything's more expensive. There's still, when you look at the scope of aviation, it's extremely affordable way to get in. And the you know the best part I find about them, I, mean, I, I see a lot of people um, you know get into building Legos, and there's certainly a lot of Legos and similar kits that that look like airplanes and are like real airplanes. But the thing is, the the plastic kit looks exactly like the real thing. I mean, the shape is is there. That was always just something that kind of like in my mind always bugged me. Like I I loved building Legos as a kid, but taking that step to plastic where it's like okay, I have the exact precise shape of what I look at um and kind of one of my my favorite things about building models that that still holds true is that there's there's so many different levels you can take it like I think back to that first f-18 
I built. It's it was molded in a, a blue color, so I didn't even bother painting it. Like you don't have to paint it, and then you know, like like you and I have talked about, you start with maybe brush painting, and then you get into using spray cans, and then you and I are now into airbrushing realm. There's just so many different skill levels you can choose to take it or or not, and that's to me that's the, the best way for to to enter into it. What I think is really cool. Um, is especially when you get into the higher end models or at least really you know really well molded kits is you put this thing together and you're putting the pieces together and you're looking at like different compartments or panels and things like that on this airplane and then someday you get a chance to go up close to the real thing and those panels are there and you kind of are like oh that's what this is, uh, if it's not explained, you know, like a compartment to hold a life raft in the B-17 or something like that. You know, when you're building the model, it's really there. And then when you get to go out next to the aircraft, you, you kind of appreciate that aspect a little bit more of like, oh, I remember putting that into this kit. Um, one of the things that really got me on my first trip to Oshkosh was it's a modeler's dream to come to AirVenture because uh, there's no ropes around most of the aircraft. So, you know, if you, let's say you're at home building a Spitfire, you, you come up and there's a Spitfire just sitting on the grass here, and you can look in the wheel wells and study the wheel wells. And, I mean, whatever part of the aircraft you really want to geek out on, you can do that. You can mm -hmm. uh, check out how the, you know, uh, hydraulic lines and things like that are running through wheel wells or when the airplanes shut down, the flaps and the gear doors droop, you know, things like that. I think that's it's priceless as a model builder to go to places like this. Yeah, and then the, I think like the the best part of that is you know you come back so you see you see a Spitfire or whatever it is. So like this past summer for me is you know seeing the the hurricane that was here. I'd never seen a hurricane fly in my life. So you see that you take all your details and everything, and then you come back to your workshop and you build that exact model. I mean I don't know about you, but like the thrill of when when you finish a project and you have it exactly how you want it, and you're like yeah yeah that's like the real thing. I mean that's it's it's an awesome feeling. You know it uh, yeah it, you know one of the things that it gets me is whatever level you want to take it to, however absurd or not absurd you want to get into this, uh, I know you and I are, are, are fairly absurd into this. So, <laughs> um, But you can get antennas in the right place. You can get, um, you know, pitot tubes and, and really get into photo etch and getting as much detail into the cockpit. Uh, I just did a course there not that long ago that I had at Winter Flight Fest, and I actually put the gauges in it so you can actually read the gauges and the dials in there. And... Um, not long ago, we had uh, a U-2 pilot here and uh, still, you know, in the realm of, of models, um, Sam Olson had his U-2 in here he brought down afterwards. And the two things that struck me were, here's a real live U-2 pilot by, and who was totally geeked out to see this model. Like, he was like, whoa, that's gorgeous. And then he's looking and he's like, oh, wow, it even has the rear view mirror that, like, I would actually use on the airplane in this this model. And the other thing was the decals had the tail number of an airplane, and he was like, I flew this actual one. I mean, so just in the, in the markings of the finished you know, aircraft, um, he was able to be like, yeah, you know, I, I flew this one. I have memories of this exact airframe. I mean, that's how down into the dirt you can get with this stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I mean, on the flip side, too, I think it's cool that, I mean, there's no requirement that says you have to do that. So if you want yeah. to keep it really basic and maybe not not super detailed stuff like that's totally cool. I, I mean, I guess I'm 
there's some some modelers you know that like hold to like a certain standard that you got to build but a lot more for me it's just it's what i do for fun and it always remains that and so if if i'm trying to go to a detail level that like makes it not fun i stop and go on to something else (laughs) my wife laughs that she's like we're like bus drivers that drive a bus all day long and then come home and go for a ride (laughs) she's just like you guys are like near airplanes all day you come home and you're like well gonna build a little airplane now (laughs) yep yep (laughs) so um you know, we're, I know we're using some terms that if you're newer into this uh, or maybe just trying to, you know, maybe explore the hobby, maybe start into it, you're probably a little lost. Um, I think one, first thing we got to explain is when we're talking about 172nd, 148th, 132nd, what what are we talking about there? Right. So that's the, the scale it's pared down to and the way it was explained to me long time ago is that so say in uh 148th scale which is primarily what i work in and it's a really widely common scale so that's your airplane is 48 times smaller than than the real the one-to-one version so if you lined them up nose to tail 48 of them would equal the length of the the real airplane that's right so basically the bigger the number after the one gets the smaller the aircraft gets you know, so, you know, 172nd, 144th, obviously, you're getting into the airliner territory and stuff like that. Um, when we talk about details, um, you can go anywhere from a snap-built model kit, which maybe has eight, eight pieces, doesn't uh, require glue, doesn't require uh, painting, um, to what we call photo edge, when you're getting really into a lot of the details. And do you, do you want to maybe explain the process of what photo etch is? Yeah. So it's, um, I think it's their, their laser cut, um, like metal sheets. Uh, and it's just because of the process, the, the detail they're, they're able to get down to is incredibly fine. Uh, so if you think of parts kind of like, like seat belts or screens, um, of some kind, uh, badges that you'd see like emblems, that sort of thing. Um, those, those parts come in a, just a, a laser cut metal sheet, I guess. And, and that's, uh, when you get into like what we call super detailing, those, those parts are, are really easy or probably the most common thing to use for that. Yeah. For example, uh, my Corsair, um, when you get a, a control panel that maybe would be come with your kit, it's kind of flat and there's a, a, a panel on the airplane that kind of is flat but it, the real airplane would have, you know, switches and, like, tank selectors to switch fuel tanks and, and mags and things like that. Um, with the use of photo etch, you can actually put that into the control panel. So now you have more of a 3D effect to the panel, and it's not just a, a flat panel with some paint on it. It's now, oh, wow, look, the, those switches or knobs are really there, or, or a hand crank to roll the canopy back, things like that. Um, and I think it really, it, just a little bit of that really adds to the model. I mean, you don't need, you don't need a lot of it. I mean, you know, you get three or four pieces into a model kit with some photo etch in the cockpit, um, and uh, and you know, and it really makes a difference. Absolutely. And I have a friend who's really into photo etch, so if he hears this, he's probably going to really <laughs> write a hate letter because you need all photo etch, you know. But um, but that, that kind of opens up the deal to aftermarket. And yep. when we talk about aftermarket, um, think about you buy a car. And then you want to soup it up and add like a hood scoop and all this stuff. Um, that's all aftermarket. And scaled model airplane kits are the exact same. So you buy a model kit, in my opinion, and you can let me know if I'm off base, uh, you know, you're, you're buying the basic kit. You're buying the, the components you need to make the shape of the aircraft. 
but aftermarket allows you to go to some other companies who maybe make really super detailed wheel wells for landing gear or cockpit, you know, out of resin. And these are just complementary, like additional pieces that you would put on to help bring that out and maybe bring a little bit more accuracy uh, to the aircraft that's not in the standard production kit. Uh, so the combination of like some resin things, um, you know, a, a lot of areas you'll see that are are, uh, are cockpits and things. Or let's say you want to make a really rare version of something. A lot of times companies will make like a like a resin add-on that you can you know that gives you like the right nose or drop tanks or something that that there nobody's going to make a a standard production kit of because the airplane was just kind of a one-off you know. Uh, same with model kits themselves. I mean, there are some airplanes that just are not very famous. Uh, maybe there was only ever like 10 of these things ever built. Great examples are P-64. You know, the P-64 was not a, an airplane that gets a lot of spotlight. You know, there weren't very many of them made. I would argue that the one in the EA collection is probably the most famous because it's been around for so long. Uh, it's now a sole survivor. So... You know, unless this is something that's really interesting to you, you're not going to want to you know buy thousands of P64 kits. But there are companies out there that make a resin P64 kit because they were a short, what they call a short run or short production. Uh, so you're able to get a really personal. In my opinion, that's one of the things I really like about this stuff is you're able to get a really personal collection together. You know, um, you build models, and thanks to aftermarket decals you can make specific aircraft that are special to you. And, you know, my aviation experience and your aviation experience are different. If we get our collections together, we may have the same airframes in it, but the markings will be different because, you know, you saw a P-51 that meant something to you as opposed to the one that I saw and, and vice versa. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that so that kind of makes me think of, um, so like, I'm pretty sure everyone around here knows I'm a Mustang nut, right? So, <laughs> Um, so I've spent like a ridiculous amount of time just kind of studying the different variants and um, just thinking of the aftermarket, a, a good example there is that maybe some people know or don't know, but there's different types of, of wheels that the Mustangs had, whether it was a diamond tread pattern on the tires or just kind of a like a vertical tread. Uh, that's that's a really common aftermarket item. Um, and same with the propellers. And that kind of gets into, you know, you can you can choose to model maybe something fictional or just you know whatever the box scheme is or you know you can really get into researching different aircraft that people flew uh, and really try to recreate a piece of history uh, and so you find you know you end up learning a great deal about a certain unit or a certain person different theaters during during World War II or whatever it is I mean it's a great tool to to learn more about about the history too yeah so I, I'll give full credit to that um when I was a kid, uh, the Tuskegee Airmen story really wasn't out there as much as it is today. And it was the Testers P-47 kit that actually included markings and instructions and a small write-up about who the Tuskegee Airmen were. And I had never heard that story. Like, I was blown away. Like, I built their P-47 simply because I thought it was the coolest thing that there was a squadron made up of all African-American pilots. Like, and I had never seen that in any history book at the time, you know, and this is in the nineties. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I give full credit to that kit for, for first exposing me to that history. Um, same with, uh, I mean, just all the different variants of like B-24s that are out there. I mean, a lot of different kits are covered, uh, you know, because of like the Navy variants and things like that. Um, the, fun part of that in my opinion is the research like 
uh, right now I'm building an AC-119 gunship. And the first thing I did was decided what resources are we going to use to do the research? Because when you get to the to, to the level where you're starting to like really try to take pride in the paint job and the markings, it's got to look right just like the airplane, right? You, know, you oh, want yeah. it to look exactly like it. And I've gotten, and I'm sure you're the same way, where you know, we're to the point where like the, the colors have to hit the right panel lines to make sense of this is how the, how the airplane was painted. Um, what are some of the resources you use? Because I'll, I'll name a few that I like, but I want you to go first. Yeah, um, I guess kind of one of the one of the ones that comes to mind is the, so the American Air Museum in, um, in Britain. Uh, their, their website, I think it's American Air Museum. Um, they have a massive uh, archive of, of color and black and white uh, World War II aircraft. I've used that pretty extensively. I use uh, one of my favorites, as I have way too many of them, are the Squadron in Action books. Uh, and they also made a series called Walk Around, uh, where it's literally just walking around, opening up cowlings on some of these airplanes. Uh, the Squadron in Action stuff is, is really, yeah. really good. Yeah, I, yeah, I have more more of those books than I probably should have, right? But I mean, there there there's certain um, certain airplanes. I mean, I guess I I don't know if they have one on on the P sixty four. It might be in their their T six variant book or whatever. But I mean, that's that's maybe an example. Um, or if you think of like the P sixty one Black Widow, there's there's very few of those around. And so someone, if you're not in the area where you can easily go see one of those or get access to look at all the panels, I mean, those books are, I mean, that's that's your ticket right there. It's the closest thing to actually looking at the airplane in person, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of the uh, museums, ours included, has actually worked with model companies when they're making a model of an aircraft. A lot of times it's a rare version that maybe their museum has or they want to include a paint job that their museum you know, has depicted in their uh, in their collection, um, and these museums will full out give them access. They'll open up all the cowlings and let them in the cockpit in the sake of getting this right. You know, and making sure that the model is is as accurate as possible. Yep. Um, what are uh, this is a good one. This this, this could go way off track. <laughs> so I'm just letting everybody know now. What are some of the favorite kits that you've built? Oh. Um... Yeah, that, that's uh, where do I start? Oh, I it's, it's, this <laughs> yeah. is dangerous. Yeah. Um, well, I guess, yeah, be, being a Mustang guy, um, so I did a project, uh, I think it was like three years ago, where I tried to tried to build as many of the variants as I could kind of all at one time. Um, but probably the one that sticks out, I've got the 48 scale uh, P-51. I guess it's a P-51C, B or C, the, the Razorback uh, Merlin version. Um, I have that in my done up as princess elizabeth which just personally so that's a, a real restored one that flies and it's always caught my eye and it's probably one of my favorites favorite favorite p51 so i i have that as uh, tamia's kit um which is i i mean i can't say enough nice things about it it's just one of those kits that everything just fell together really easy uh, and i was really happy with how i got the finish done on it so that's that sticks in my mind for sure yeah, I think uh, I did the uh, Tamiya 148 scale P38, mm-hmm. and yeah, that was one that's just uh, another one that falls together. But there's also, it's such a well-engineered kit yeah. that you have tons of detail work, and a lot of times kits that have a lot of detail work are a little bit of a bear to put together. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Tamiya one has a ton of detail, but it just falls together as well. I mean, it's just a, a good kit. Yeah, that's kind of one of the, one of the things I, I've, talk to other people that maybe maybe don't build as much or are just kind of interested but but haven't taken the dive yet um you know like the 
the to me a P thirty eight kit's maybe a little like little up there in price, but the way the way the more modern kits are engineered, um, I just think back to most of the older like the Revo and the Monogram kits, how you kind of join, so you build everything into like one fuselage half, and then you join the halves, right? And the tail wheel always has to go in at that stage. I mean, I'm sure like I can't count the number of times that I've broken the tail wheel off because it has to go in way too early. It's like that to me, a Mustang and there are other kits. I mean, that's the tail wheel goes in later on. So the, you know, if you look at just the, maybe the price of, of the newer kits are a little bit higher, it's it's totally worth it because the just your stress level in the build is going to be a lot lower because you don't have to worry about breaking stuff off because they've really like they've really thought out how things should go together in what order. Yeah, I I, uh, I agree. The Tamiya uh, thirty eight. I did the one thirty second scale Corsair and Mustang uh, kits, and uh, they're I mean they're just so nice. And they're the bigger ones give you. So I guess you might think what's what's the what's the reason for going bigger or smaller on some of these? Well, a lot of it is shelf space. I mean, if you're gonna have a huge yep. collection, you know, you got to think about that. Uh, the other part of it is what level of detail do you want to go into these? One thirty second, which is a larger scale for for these airplanes. Um, the perfect airplanes for these are, are single engine fighters, because you could put a lot of detail into them. And that Tamiya kit is just wonderful. The the Corsair or the Mustang. I heard the Spitfire is really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, they you know. 132nd scale, you can put things like seat belts into it, and you can really see that. You can do it in 48 scale as well. Um, but uh, when you start getting smaller into like, you know, 70 seconds, a little tough to start putting seat belts or something in. You could do it. But uh, anything I say, by the way, someone's immediately going to send a picture <laughs> of a 172nd scale Mustang with seat belts in it. But, yeah. uh, but, you know, the smaller you get, the harder it is to get those kinds of details. Um, one of the things I, I, I wanted to make sure we bring up is. Um, you know, there, there's 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 a really um, there's a lot of emotion that can be that can come from these models. Um, I've done a few models for veterans who have not seen their airplane because it doesn't exist anymore uh, since the war. You know, mm-hmm. I, I built one for a P-47 veteran. Uh, I built one for the son of a P-38 pilot, and you know, th- there there was emotions, raw emotion there to see. What this airplane looked like in the in the case of the sons or daughters, they may have never seen their dad's or grandfather's airplane, uh, as opposed to the veteran who now they're an older you know person and wow, I mean here's their you know their P fifty one again or something like that. Have you have you ever done anything like that or seen yeah. that happen? Yeah, absolutely. I built a, a B twenty four for a, a family friend of mine that uh, the the woman her her dad uh, flew him in the war and there's. I don't think there were any photos, but I managed to somehow managed to track down and like this is what one of the other the other ships looked like in the squadron, and I found his markings and I actually recreated the airplane for her. and it was and again yeah her kids had no idea what what their grandpa's airplane looked like and it's yeah it's a lot it's it's fun to to build stuff for your own collection but it's like a hundred times more rewarding when you get to build it for someone someone else. Um, this this another one we can go on all day on this subject. <laughs> Where are some of your favorite uh, places to get your models from? And are there any experiences that stand out in getting those? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I like, uh, so we have a hobby town here. It's just kind of a, it, 
sort sort of local, but that's that's our chain. I go there. Um, I guess I would. Uh, I'm a big fan of the company Edward. It's E D U A R D. They're they're really well known for their their detail stuff, but they uh, make their own kits, uh, and I buy straight straight from them. Um, so uh, uh, there's a couple of brick what we call brick and mortar or actual mom and pop stores that I enjoy going to. Uh, down in Milwaukee and uh, and uh, and actually in Indiana when I go to Indiana, um, I'll tell you one experience I had and and it, this is selfish promotion so I'm sorry but this is a true story. Um, I uh, just recently we started carrying model kits here in the EA gift shop and Connor you and I were were part of the decision making uh, which is also the worst thing that you could ever do <laughs> as we're yeah. finding out because now we've we've stacked the deck of as to spending our own money in the gift shop yeah. but uh, um, but. Uh, my daughter um, came to you know in, 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 to visit work one day, and stopped by the gift shop, and um, you know she came and was like, "I want to build uh, Megan's F14." And Megan, of course, is a supporter of EAA. She was a uh, the last female uh, F14 Tomcat fighter pilot, and uh, and literally like we got to go up together. Uh, snag the F14, the Tamiya F14, and uh, on her spring break, we're gonna we're gonna build that kit and build Megan's Tomcat together, and uh, you know, kind of a proud dad moment, you know, or yeah. where you know, uh, years ago it was me and my dad in a hobby shop looking at buying a model kit, and now, you know, fast forward and here's uh, me and my daughter, we're gonna uh, take an F14 and build it. That that's. Um, you know that's pretty cool, uh, and it's kind of a proud moment to, to leave your place of work with with that moment that you got to do that. So oh, yeah. uh, selfish promotion that yes, the gift <laughs> shop here does uh, carry a lot of the the, the brands and models uh, now, um, and uh, and again aftermarket. Uh, we found aftermarket decals for Megan's airplane. Uh, it has her name in the decal sheet and everything. So uh, we're uh, we're gonna go ahead and do that. Added bonus, uh, they give you decals for both sides of her airplane, and her name was only ever on the one side, so I can build two Tomcats out of this decal sheet. It's even so, better. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I, she may, hopefully she's not listening. She may end up with one, too. So, But uh, uh, another uh, story I have, when we talk about the emotions around model building, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, um, you know, there's a lot of... Um, I guess looking back and remembering different things, I'm sure you're going to remember. Uh, you have a special memory around them, like a Christmas or, or maybe even that Blue Angel jet. Uh, I remember I was on um, I was volunteering at an air museum out in Beaver Falls, and um, I went to an air show. And we were on the air show circuit. We were taking the C-123 and uh, an L-21 uh, around, and. The deal was you were volunteering, so you had to pay your own way as far as like hotels and food and everything. And I was in uh, junior high, and I was uh, cutting grass and washing cars to earn enough money to go on the air show circuit with everybody. And we go to this air show at Youngstown, and you know I had enough, and my parents would help me out, you know, but but I, I didn't have enough money to like buy a really go off and buy tons of model kits, you know. And uh, you guys heard heard me talk about my mentor Claire and uh, Claire Paisy was a U.S. Airways mechanic and um, we go to Youngstown and this guy has a shop set up in one of the hangars with tons of like cool, rare, out of production model kits I've never seen. Like he literally had like hundreds of model kits and. You know, we went in there. We went in there to look around, and it was like, "Oh my God, this is like the ultimate hobby shop in this guy's <laughs> hangar." And uh, you know, I didn't have the money for that. You know, so I'll never forget. Claire loads up, and he buys like a bunch of stuff, 
and he's going to go back to his car and he's like, what are you going to buy? And I'm like, ah, you know, nothing. I think I'm just going to, you know, I'm good. So I'll never forget, Claire comes back and we were wearing like, we had uniform shirts we had to wear and they had pockets on them. And uh, Claire goes and takes all his models to his car and he comes back and he just shoves something in my pocket on my shirt and he goes i don't want to see until that's gone and he like turned me around and pushed me toward that hanger and uh i pulled what he put out of my uh pocket he put he put a hundred dollar bill in my pocket and was like go buy this stuff and i remember pulling like i got like a b25 and a b17 and you know it was a good haul for chris that day but uh I, th- that's one of those special memories when i think of modeling i think of being out there i, I still actually have one of those kits that i never built simply because I just kind of want to re- almost keep it as a keepsake of that uh, of that day. So um, I'm sure, do you have anything that, you know, kind of harks to something like that? Yeah, I, I guess like kind of going back to like where, where you get your kits, I think uh, kind of frequenting, like when you go to a, a contest, there's like almost always a swap meet that goes with it, right? Which, I mean, the nice thing about that not being a store or anything is you certain to find out of production stuff. And there's something like, you know, there's there's always a list in your head of like, oh yeah, I'd like this kit, or I'd like to build this airplane or whatever. And just kind of the thrill of like searching through, you know, just hundreds of different models. And then like you finally find the one, you know, the one kit you've been after for a long time. Uh, it's just pretty fun. Um, I kind of think uh, sort of related, not really, but uh, so, you know, growing up looking at my, my uncle's B-17 model, that was kind of the, you know, something like I was always after. Uh, and I did, I did end up building that kit um, somewhere, you know, somewhere I was pro- probably younger than, than I should have been. And so it's like not, not the best build quality of that. But then a couple years ago, um, I bought another of that same kit and built it again. And so just kind of like a cool like a cool benchmark to like, okay, yeah, I'm here now. And like, I can, like, this is actually something I'm pretty proud of. And, and there's, I think that that just continues on as you, you evolve as a modeler, you know, you can just look back at, at what you did build and you, you just see your skill progress and it's pretty fun. Absolutely. You know, we talked about where we get them in uh, another place that, uh, you know, it, it's a good memory. It, it has to do with a place you get them, but there was a place in Pittsburgh uh, called AB Charles and, the dad it was a it was like a dad and a son that owned this business and the dad was like really old school and you would go to this store and you would buy a model kit let's say you bought like a p51 i keep picking on that because it's you know it's easy <laughs> um he would actually he would hit the dad was so old school that he would wrap it in paper and then like tie it up with string so like you would go there and like it was just the experience of like coming out of there with this like paper wrapped model with string like there was just some cool experience to that yeah, coming home with just like heightens the whole experience exactly yeah yeah. Awesome. yeah you wouldn't even need anything you'd still buy it just yeah. because you know <laughs> um so there, for a lot of people getting into modeling i think maybe seems like a like a huge challenge um because i think a lot of people are like ah, i'm not good at that stuff i've heard that a ton i'm sure you have too um you know is there one particular maybe uh piece of advice or tip that you would give somebody that's looking at getting into this or maybe someone who's who's in it and just is like boy I wish I could get better. Yeah, well I mean we we all we, we all started at that point at some point, right? Um I for me it's always following kind of what I'm passionate about and that's I sometimes work on like 10 different projects at once cuz like my my liking for this fades and oh I saw like we had F117 pilot series speaker series all of a sudden I really want to build a stealth fighter. Um so I would say 
pick something you're pick a subject you're really passionate about and just just dive into it um buy some glue and just just work at it and i mean you don't even you don't have to paint your first model like just just find find something that you're passionate about and i think it all all the rest will just fall into place you know my thing is um for years i was afraid of tackling the airbrush uh, the airbrush was so daunting, in my opinion, where I, I was like, oh, my God, you know, I can never do that. And it literally uh, took the badgering of one of my friends uh, and my wife's offered that that should be my Christmas or my birthday present. And uh, I did get a Grex airbrush and uh, to- that totally changed the quality of, of paint job I'm able to put out. I mean, I'm, I've, I've really gone to a different level with it because of that airbrush. And I by no means am a master at it, but it's opened up a new world that I'm able to get a better finish. And my, my models look, look you can tell that I've taken that, that step. So I would tell someone that whatever that step is, it doesn't have to be airbrushing, but you know, don't be afraid to do that. Don't be afraid to take that step and uh you know whatever that is to go try it i mean the worst thing that can happen the absolute worst thing that can happen is you ruin a model so you know hopefully you're working with models that can be replaced um you know and uh and then you'll go get another one but it's very rare that you do something that ruins the model completely i mean you know yeah it like it happened to me early on it's happened to me recently like it's just gonna happen and it's not something to, to hold yourself back and i think like same exact thing with the airbrushing um in a sky raider model i have i did all the weathering on it with oil paint kind of by hand and it took me forever and that that pushed me over the edge of like okay this would be way easier with an airbrush but again i was always intimidated by it uh but then you just you just get into it and the more you do it's like well this actually really isn't that hard uh, and and kind of at the end of the day, I, th- I think no matter what your skill level is, you're still going to take something, you know, that's just a pile of bare plastic and you turn it into something that looks totally different. I mean, you can turn it into a piece of art and there's, there's nothing that changes that, uh, that, that joy is, is good, whether it's your first build or whether it's your latest build. You know, and you, you, you say that phrase and that's something that recently got told of me that really made me feel good was because to me i have you know in my house i have shelves and, and display cases with with models in them and you know to me i'm like ah, i'm probably the only one that ever looks at these things you know <laughs> um and i had a friend over who actually you know said you know these are actually like pieces of art like you've created these these uh these pieces and there's a history behind each one and there's a reason why you build it uh and many times if we've met the people who we've had here we've had them sign them and things like that i mean it's uh you know it simply isn't not just this this cube of plastic anymore it, it it's transformed into something different so uh i think you know my advice uh, again to anybody that's even considering doing it is is give it a shot i mean you know it, it out of all the hobbies you could have out there plastic model building is is fairly cheap i mean when you really think about it mm-hmm. um and uh you know it's something that it's extremely personal too uh, um you know like i said how i choose a paint scheme is is usually i mean there's always that i just really think that paint scheme's cool so i'm gonna <laughs> build it um uh, but you know a lot of times it's we've actually had that pilot here or you know and i'm like look i put a little pinup girl on there you know so you know sometimes you can barely see it but i know it's there i know that that is that person's airplane and that's why it's in my collection so i, I hope that uh if you're sort of on the fence that uh maybe you do it and if not and if you would rather just 
pay maybe a higher dollar amount but have a finished product to put on the shelf, you, know, you do have avenues like die-cast aircraft collecting, which is a bit of a different avenue. Um, one of our friends, I think, is uh, slowly collecting the entire Air Force. Uh, but, uh, you know, that also is extremely personal. When you look at someone's collection, not every collection is the same. It's not like baseball cards where it's like, why well, have the whole set? Well, if you have the whole set from that year, everybody's looks the same. You know, my Sky Raider and your Sky Raider look different, and we went different ways because of different uh, reasons. So, I, And I think that's a pretty neat, uh, a neat thing that's extremely a personal hobby. Yeah, and I think whether whether it's die cast or plastic, it, it's cool to you kind of curate your own collection, and it's you know full scale. If you were to compare, you know, twenty airplanes, that's that's a huge museum we're talking about. So just to have that ability to just just look at all these different airplanes in their their relative sizes, you know, next to each other is is just really cool that we're able to do that, you know. Yeah, it's you know it's one of those things that I, I never realized just how huge the U two wingspan is. Oh yeah. You know, and then when we had those models here last month, it was like, oh my god, this thing is giant. You know, it, it's as it's like as long as an SR seventy one. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just really, uh, and I love to do that as compare size. I'm like, wow, I didn't realize a wingspan of this is basically the same length as a fuselage of the, you know, of, of, of one of these types of aircraft. So, um, yeah, really, uh, really educational from that aspect. And again, from, uh, I would say youth education area, um, this is a great way to get uh, somebody who's younger into it. Cause you know, what they're finding is I always thought if you, you have to kind of capture someone's imagination by the age of about 12 or 13. And what we're finding out is actually, we really need to capture them by the age of about six, um, because they you know, that's when they're starting to form their opinions of what they want to do. So, you know, a snap tight kit or at least uh, some aviation themed Legos is a great, uh, a great sort of uh, way to anchor them into aviation a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think we are getting the uh, signal that it's time. It, you know, just like so many of these, we're going to need a part two <laughs> on uh, on model building and get into tips and techniques and things like that. If you're listening to this episode, and, and just like any of our other episodes, uh, it's the listeners that make this possible. So please, if you can, take the time to leave us some feedback wherever you are listening to this, uh, wherever you get your podcast. We really appreciate it. Let us know what you might like to hear in a part two about modeling. Uh, or if you model yourself, let us know some of the things you heard today that uh, you know maybe you'd like to chime in on. Um, again, we 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 really appreciate your feedback because it makes uh, doing this podcast possible, and uh, we look forward to talking to you the next time when you're clear to land on the green dot. <laughs>